The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. We are going to be reading Psalm 129 this morning, if you guys want to open with me. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kelly. Well, again, thank you all for being here and playing. And uh, Parker, who is, if you haven't heard yet or haven't seen the emails or heard, uh, Parker's our new music director here at uh, CPC Music Grocery. Again, we're so thankful to have you on staff with us. And and thank you both for leading us this morning. So grateful, man. Um, You know, as... uh, some of you may have heard this name before, and I don't ever want to take, uh, you know, I always want to take in consideration that uh, when we use names or talk about things uh, from history or from the Bible that we all think we know what it is, but there's a, a man named Martin Luther who um, maybe you've heard that name before of the Reformation uh, in the 16th century. Uh, he was a, a, a monk who actually um, did not... Uh, Really, uh, when he first started out as a monk, he became a monk because a bolt of lightning uh, struck near him and freaked him out. And so, hey, I I need to be a monk. (laughs) Um, And uh, that's kind of the short of it. When he became a monk and he he started walking down that path of his relationship really with God, uh, what he found was that he didn't really like God much. He kept trying to uh, have a relationship with God, but he kept running into something. God's judgment. Because every time he prayed, and every time that he went and did the duties and office of of a monk, he found himself never being able to do enough. Never being able to confess enough like we just did. There's not enough silence for him. Never being able to to feel like he had the the affirmation of God. Have you ever felt that way before? About anybody? Needing affirmation, needing someone to show you that love. He never felt like God did it until he ran into a passage that really described what, what God's mercy was about in Romans. Talked about the cross. And he began to look at the cross of Jesus Christ differently. He heard and read Jesus' word and heard them on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And began to think, why is Jesus saying this? Because at that moment on the cross, Jesus was crying out to God because all of the sin, all of the judgment was being laid on him. And for the first time, Martin Luther began to understand that God's mercy and his judgment were fused, as it were, put together on the cross of Jesus, on Jesus himself, so that it freed Martin Luther up. It freed him to actually say, 
I'm actually approved. I'm actually affirmed before God because he put all that on Jesus. I actually, actually can do that. And it's interesting because I think many of us come to Christianity and we think of it as possibly that. What can I do more of? Sometimes we go to one side, as Martin Luther said. Sometimes we fall so far on one side of, of the horse, so to speak, as he said, into the mercy ditch. And we don't even think about God's law or judgment. We think, no, eh, we don't need it anymore. We can just live in mercy. But mm, he said, if you do that, then you're not really living for God. You're not taking in his whole character. But some of us also, like he used to, fall on the judgment side only and are always constantly whether it be we see it in our daily lives our work our family our relationships we can never get that approval what we're looking at this morning in this psalm is a psalm that takes that and fuses it together it's a psalm that's very interesting it's called an imprecatory psalm and it actually may make you squirm a little bit because for many of us that would say maybe we're followers of Jesus the mercy of God is something we resonate with. We're like, oh yeah, mercy. We bring, bring on the mercy. But we read a psalm like this and it talks about judgment and judgment on other people. And that's what it's called an imprecatory psalm. There's justice being cried out for. And it can make us kind of nervous. Because we can kind of go, wait, who am I to cry for, out for that? Who am I to say that? Who am I the one to, to say judgment? What we need to see again and to encourage you, especially if you're here and you're um, uncomfortable or maybe you don't even know much about Christianity or maybe your first time back in a church that, that what Christianity is saying is that the cross really is. You cannot have the cross without both mercy and judgment fused on it to free us up, to see this passage and see this psalm that's really broken up into two parts, praising God for his mercy and affliction, but also praying for justice. This morning we're celebrating something that's really beautiful. We're actually celebrating new leadership coming into um, our church for the first time of the life, the five, almost five years of the, the life of uh, CPC Music Row. We are this morning. You're going to get to see uh, deaconesses, deacons, and elders being brought into the fold. That have and here's the beautiful, beautiful part of it. They're not people who have said, "I want to stand out and do this or get it." They wouldn't say, stand up here and say they got it. You know why they're becoming that is because they were already doing it. They said, "We're going to take that role," and that's one of the things I really encourage them. I said, "You know, one of the beautiful things about each of you is that you're already." striving after this. You're not, you haven't perfected it. And that's what it means for all of us to be Christians and to lead in by praising God for his mercy and praying for justice. Let's look at this psalm together briefly. It begins this way. It talks about the afflicted, right? It mentions it twice. Anytime the Bible mentions something twice, you should actually, right? Anytime, you know, growing up, your parents were like, Stacy, Stacy, especially if they said my full name, you know, you know, why is it the full name always grabs the, the ear of, <laughs> of the child or us, right? William Stacy Croft. People are like, why do you go by Stacy in the middle name? Yeah. William Stacy Croft, what are you doing? You know, repeating that. It's saying afflicted, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Greatly, it says it again in verse two, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. There's deep affliction. There's deep affliction, something happening, oppression to these people. And as we've said before, these were psalms, uh, and this is a part of a collection of Psalm 120 to 134, where people were walking up to Jerusalem. They were traveling. These were traveling psalms that people would sing. 
So it wasn't just one person actually singing this. A number of people traveling for worship services in Jerusalem would be singing this, this very hymn. And they would be singing, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say. Notice, it's not one person. It's a whole people. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. You know, I was on a call the other day with a group of people talking about our church. One of the things, not just our church, but I mean Christ Presbyterian Church as a whole and the church and what this time has meant and what many of you have spoken of during uh, this season, this difficult season of uh, this COVID season. People call it now the COVID. It's interesting because one of the words that keeps coming up is trauma. That this time has really created a traumatic event for many people. Some don't even realize it. Some of you may have received in therapy uh, the work of what's called EMDR. It's a work of eye movement to track trauma in the brain. And one of the things that I think that this season of time has done, and I, I really see this, whether to a, what, wherever you would see yourself on the scale or spectrum, is that wherever we were before all of this hit, tornadoes, COVID season, everything that we're in now continues to seem to be going on is that it is an enduring affliction that's drawing out what was already there. What was already there and within our hearts has been drawn out, mined out, even more so, maybe exacerbated, almost like uh, applications on, on your laptop that would sit at the bottom or on the side. When you pass your cur cursor over them, they kind of expand and contract. It's almost like what has happened in the last several months has taken all of those icons of your heart and expanded everyone at once. There's trauma. There's affliction. We see affliction not just in us, but around us. We see affliction in the racial injustices that are going on around us. The political injustices. The ways we can't even agree over wearing face coverings. All sorts of things that have just been drawn out. This is language of a psalm that is actually timeless. Because the language being used here happened long before the psalmist was walking up. It happened in Exodus when the people of God, of Is people of God, Israel itself was a people and they were called by God Israel's son. That's why it's youth. It's not just from my youth, meaning me as an individual. We can, we can often read the psalms that way, but it's calling back to the people of God as a child, the whole people of God as God's child. And the psalm has a timelessness to it because it's talking about enduring affliction. Think about the history of Israel in and of itself. Even beginning to Exodus all the way to even in the 1940s with the Holocaust, things like that that have continued on. This psalm is timeless to the people of God being drawn in, even from this, drawn into Isaiah 50 to another time and another place, even from this psalm where the people of God were taken out of their own land. And it continues to go on to, to bring in, it gives us images, the plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. You can even see the plow on the back. And you see that. And you can feel it sometimes, probably even in your own life, of affliction. What enduring affliction. This isn't a one-time thing. It's a long-time thing. The way many of us who may be teachers here, or may have children, are looking at every week, and what's going to happen? Are, we, are kids going to school or not? 
Even those small things like that, maybe our health, we're fearful of even coming to an outdoor service. Which is rightly so. We have affliction and you feel it almost as if you can see it in some who long over the years have been afflicted with something physical and traumatic that it bends their back and it bows them. And it's almost as if you can catch the image of someone plowing into their back. This physical, emotional strain. That's that affliction. It's an enduring, long affliction. And yet here's the point of this whole part. It's that he says, the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. There's a praise here in the midst of all the affliction. We've been watching a lot of those old school um, uh, uh, 80s, 90s, Disney Plus athletic shows. You know, like uh, Mighty Ducks. You remember these shows? Like these old, old school uh, shows where it's like this team that couldn't win anything, like Little Giants or something like that. I mean, I, I, we just watched one yesterday. It's crazy. They're all this, I, it's so funny, the pattern. I don't know what it was about that era, but it was all these teams that were just a bunch of nobodies and they get together and they somehow beat the biggest and strongest team, right? It's like this David and Goliath story. It just happened over and over in all these, <laughs> these little sports shows with kids. And one of the lines from that show is interesting. It says in, in Little Giants, a football inversion, there's hockey, football, base. So you can find, pick your point, you know, whatever you want. But in this particular one, it, the coach sits down because he's kind of a ragtag guy. It's Rick Moranis, if you remember him. He sits down and he looks at all his, his ragtag bunch of football players who all their jerseys don't match and everything else. And it's halftime and they want to quit. And he looks at me and he says, all we got to do is just win once. I just remember winning once. And then that's all it takes. And they're all like, yeah, if we win one. We... This psalm is not like that. <laughs> There's no winning once here. The, in fact, the success isn't in Israel winning. The success is in the one who has, has them gripped in the losses. And I think that's where we really need to, to hit what the affliction does to us. Perseverance isn't just us looking at each other and saying, we're going to do all this together. We're going to make it through. It's actually not girding up and that which does not kill me makes me stronger. It's actually different from that. It's in the difficulty. It's in the affliction. It's in the plowing of the back. The, the success isn't us making it, it, it through ourselves. It's the one who has his grip on us as we do. The one who carries us through. That's actually what perseverance is. Perseverance is God's grip on us. It's that He has us. And He's holding us. This is part of the charge. I want to charge our, our leaders that are going to come forward who have taken classes and worked through this for months and that they realize that leading as a deaconess, a deacon or an elder it's not about a position. It's not about the authority. It's not about standing up front and showing success. It's actually perseverance of showing how much does God's how much do I realize God's grip on me? That's what it means to be a Christian. That's why this expands into God's people being us. That it's His hand holding us. It's Him holding us as we're driving across for hours. Cole, my youngest, who's five. And many of you 
uh, may have experienced this, but he constantly asked Megan, my wife, for the map, right? Megan's sitting up front, she has her phone, he's like, can I see the nap? He calls it the nap. Can I see the nap again? I need to see the nap, because he loves seeing the blue dot. <laughs> he was like, Where, where's the dot? She would say, here's the dot, and here's Nashville, and here's where we're going, and here's... He always like, and I'm telling you, every 10 minutes, instead of saying, are we there yet? He was like, can I see the nap? Mommy? Yes, you can see the nap. Isn't that what we want in affliction? We want to see the nap, but why was he asking over and over? Because he wanted to be reminded that we were with him. It's not so much the nap or map that we need. It's the map maker. It's the one who has his grip on us. It's the one who's with us. Think about this. This is what Paul writes in a letter in Corinthians to people about this very thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, Paul writes a letter to a church, and this is what he says. And this church, by the way, Corinth, was one of the most successful places you could be. Outside of Rome, Corinth was like a Nashville. If Rome was New York, Nashville was Corinth. And this is what he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's success. It's not how great we're doing. It's not how awesome things are going or getting back to normal. We can't use that phrase anymore. What we got to use is who's faithful. The Lord has been faithful to us, and we will cling to Him no matter what happens, no matter where it goes. Because that's what perseverance is, is not our grip, but His grip on us, the map maker. And that's what drives us to the second part is really odd, is the praying for justice. This may make you uncomfortable. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand or the binder of sheaves of his arms, nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. When I was at uh, a student at Baylor University way back in the day, I remember going up one morning and going into uh, one of the cafeterias at the time, wanting breakfast, walked up with my tray, as I did so often, and noticed that the um, eggs were out. And as I looked at the person behind the counter, I said, hey, I'd love to have some eggs. Are there any eggs uh, coming out? And she was like, oh, yeah, hold on just a second. Runs back behind the door that swings, comes back out, and to my surprise, with a bag, holding this bag up. It's a yellow bag. As she snips open the top of the bag, she dumps this gelatinous form of an egg out into the tray, which then molds itself to the sides of the tray to where I pick up my tray and I say, oh, you know what, I'll have some sausage instead. And I think oftentimes when we approach God's character in a passage where it moves from maybe 
yes, affliction to then calling out justice, we kind of say, how can I pick up my tray and move from the parts of the Bible that are uncomfortable, that may not taste well or look well to us? But one of the things that we're called to do, if you're a follower of Christ, isn't just to praise God for perseverance, for his grip on us in the midst of affliction as we cry out because he's a God that listens. But we also pray adamantly for justice. That we pursue it. That we pray for it. It it, it is saying to us that we need to understand that we can't skip those parts. C.S. Lewis uh, didn't write many commentaries, but when he did, he wrote one on the Psalms called The Reflection of the Psalms, beautifully put. One of the things he talks about with this type of character of God on judgment is that we often don't understand it as uh, 21st century Christians, 20th century, 21st century of his, his time. That we need to think of it more of the Jewish mindset of that time because we typically think we're the one, as he said, in the dock. You know, the, the, either the, uh, the victim or being uh, prosecuted, that we need mercy. But what he actually says is, this is from the view of the plaintiff. This is the view of the one out, not in the dock, but outside saying, God, we need justice here. And he says it in this way. I love that he uses this. He says, because the small man is not used to having the judge hear him. See, in this time, when someone needed justice, their voice often wasn't heard. It wasn't like when we get in a car wreck or we have an issue, we can call up a lawyer, we can go to court, we can deal with things, we have means to do that. They didn't have means to do that. The psalm was the psalm for the voice of what uh, C.S. Lewis called the small man. The small person. The person that can't give his voice or her voice heard. Because the Bible is for that. In fact, if you read the Bible cover to cover, the, the, the voices that cry out to God the most are, and, and for judgment and justice are the ones who can't exact judgment or justice themselves. It's not those who are retaliating. It's those who have nothing. It's those who are of need. Uh, the fourfold uh, uh, helplessness of the Bible, the alien. Or outcast, the, the widow, the orphan, the poor, those four are constantly being upheld by God. Why? Why those specific? Because they don't have a voice for themselves. And God is always calling his people to have a voice for them. To pray for justice. Notice here he says that there's no honor. Pray, and this is what he says. Be specific in what we pray. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. Turn backward is actually a military phrase of, of, a, of, a, of, of a military conquest going out and then being turned back, publicly shamed because they think they're so strong and can defeat anybody, and yet they lose in battle. No success. The grass on the roof here. The housetops there, it says in verse 6, let them be like grass on the housetops. They had dirt roofs. I don't know if you've seen the Music City Center downtown. They actually have dirt on the roof. It's part of an architectural design to actually keep the building cooler. Well, they had that long before we did. They had dirt on the roof. And oftentimes little seedlings would pop on the roofs and they'd grow grass. And so you'd see this greenery, but it wouldn't stay long in the scorching heat because it didn't have much roots. So I'm praying as if there wouldn't be success from evil that goes against injustice. 
and also no blessing. Verse 8, nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. It's saying that no one would mis misunderstand their success or the wicked getting a blessing from God. That they wouldn't get a blessing. That they wouldn't get words of affirmation for things that are wrong or doing injustice. We need to be praying for God to set things right. That's what it means. That's simply what it means. Praying for justice and God's judgment means we long for Him to set things right. And the difference that, that even C.S. Lewis says I love, he says, there's a difference in us being in the right and being righteous. See, if we pray as people who are in the right and we have right standing and we're great, then we're praying out of self-righteousness. We're praying that we have it all right, that we aren't the ones who understand that it's God's grip on us, that we have the grip, we have, we have the market on what needs to happen. But what it means to pray as those who are righteous, it means we stand approved already. See, praying as someone who's in the right means you have to prove that you're in the right. You have to have the loudest voice. You have to say your thought. You have to be on the offensive. But praying as righteous means you're humble. Because you go because you're already approved in the sight of God. You don't have to gain approval. You don't have to puff your chest out, hold your nose up. You are already in His sight. That's what this table actually means. This table actually means that we have a God who's done something that is amazing. We have a God who, in all the affliction over the years, says we have a God who actually steps into the affliction with us and for us. See, it's not about that which does not kill me makes me stronger. It's that which killed the Son of God makes us stronger. That's the difference. It's not a philosophy or an idea. We talked about this before. As real as the grass under your feet is as real as the one who is afflicted in every way that you are yet without sin. Listen to this description. In Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant, that is Jesus Christ. It says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that was, has brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. That is the fulfillment of the psalm. What makes it real for us to praise God for his mercy and endurance through affliction is that we go in one who has been afflicted. And by his stripes we are healed. And we can pray for justice because the victim from this table is actually the one who cries out justice. The one who holds justice in his hands. The one who actually is the true judge. Praise be to God for that.